Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built and if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Maybe you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher for only about another month. Tune in Spotify anywhere where you find great podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, The Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week. Like I am... Every week, and I'm joined by a man who agrees with Travis Kelsey that podcasting is the hardest job you could ever have. Kyle Carpenter, Kyle, how are you? You know, much like Travis Kelsey, I get to do this podcast with my brother, um, you know, from another mother. But we've been <laughs> friends long enough. We've seen enough, been down enough roads that I'm comfortable with that. You're, you know, I don't know that either of us are as, as handsome nor as uh, as uh, intellectual as the respective. Uh, not that both Kelseys are both of those things. Each one plays their part, but we uh, we do our bestest, Gerald. Um, always a pleasure hopping on here with you. How you doing, man? You know, I'm I'm doing okay. There there are a lot of similarities between us and the Kelsey brothers. We both married above our weight classes for sure. Well, Travis dating above his sure. weight class for sure. I played on the offensive line. You you know were a pass catcher. Correct. Definitely at the same level as those two for sure. Um, and mm-hmm. and obviously we mm-hmm. we use that to to talk about football and all of the fun things that we love. Nowhere nowhere near as successful as the Kelseys at anything <laughs> in our lives. Although I will argue our wives just as beautiful. But we're not here to talk <laughs> about the beautiful women in our lives. We're here to talk about. Honestly, one of the teams we hate the most, TCU, just because they cannot stop bullying the Texas Longhorns, regardless of what's going on. But we have one of our, honestly, probably one of the first certified friends of the show, Melissa Treeblosser, is here today to talk about those Horned Frogs and if they can rebound or what they're going to rebound to after a magical run to the college football playoff. We'll obviously have some down the 40, a lot of crouton. Happened this weekend on the football field and on the hardwood. Baseball has a lot of guys in, a lot of guys coming out. The roster situation is fluid. Then obviously we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. We are 66, count them, 66 days away from the Texas Longhorn kickoff. So we are smack dab in the middle of our season previews. We're going in reverse order this year. So if you missed last week, we did two last week. We had uh, Texas Tech uh, with Jeremy, the people's champ, and Iowa State with everybody's favorite Levi, longest podcast of the year. We're going to test it. We're going to try it this (laughs) week because we've got... Another certified friend of the show, honestly, probably one of the first certified friends of the show we've ever had, Melissa Trebwasser of the Frogs Insider, part of Dave Campbell's podcast network, here to help us preview the TCU Horned Frogs. Melissa, how are you tonight? Gerald, you already made a mistake. You told me that Levi had the longest podcast of the preview series, and if there's one thing I like to do, it's, it's beat Levi in things. So, <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, especially... Especially now that, that Levi is a made man, you know, this this guy texts me for for my address so he can send me a save the date. And I was like, what? So, you know, it's Levi's settling down. So now it's it's up to me to, to carry the the wild whims of the, uh, <laughs> big, the the flutters of the Big 12, the remaining Big 12. So. He's, he only, we'll see. I, I don't know. He's engaged. He only had one beer on our podcast. Like Levi's turning over a new leaf. A new man. I mean, the, the unedited audio was about three hours, um, you know, that, that we had to, to trim down. But no, I kid. But it seems uh, about right. Yeah, yeah. Seems, no, it seems about right. Yeah. <laughs> We love him. We love Levi. We could rib on Levi all day, but let's talk about TCU. So TCU, it, this is probably a non-controversial statement, but coming off of the best season in school history, one of the best seasons in school history, under 
first year head coach, Sonny Dykes. Um, like, I just want to know one, like, how does this rank? And you've been around TCU for a minute. So like, how does this rank for you? And like, what's the mood like among the Horn Frog faithful? It was so unexpected, right? And so I like I think like if you look at the greatest seasons of my lifetime for TCU, you know, there was a, a great moment in 2005 beating Oklahoma that kind of announced of oh, TCU can actually matter, right? Beyond just whatever conference we were in, the WAC or CUSA or whatever else, right? There were some amazing Mountain West seasons, you know, the the Rose Bowl year. There was that that 2014 season that was I don't like to talk about how it ended, but like. But the Peach Bowl win and, and the bill, like the way that that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, we've won a couple of national championships in the 30s, but we're not Aggies, so we don't talk about those <laughs> like they matter. Pre-integration. Um, but let's talk about football pre-integration and, and how how meaningful those national championships are. But um, but yeah, I think just because the bar had fallen so far and expectations were were so low around TCU, and it was really like, hey. If this guy who has kind of a mismatch of a record across a couple other stops, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but if he gets CC to a bowl game, if they maybe win a bowl game, seven wins felt like a success, nine wins felt like a season, and then all of a sudden you're you're brokenhearted because you lost a, a Big 12 championship game, but you you know 30 minutes later that that you're going to the playoffs the next day. It was among the most special roller coasters I've ever had as a TCU fan because I got to play such a, a big part in it this year. I wasn't covering the team in 2010. I was just started covering the team. We weren't credentialed in 2014, but I was on the field at the Fiesta Bowl crying with that <laughs> mascot. And he just was like, those are those are happy tears, right? <laughs> and my response, because again, it was me. I was like, you're not supposed to talk, dude. You're a mascot. But yeah, like, yeah, they're happy tears. <laughs> Um, and, and just like spinning around in the confetti, like we, like how it ended is always going to leave a little bit of a mark there. Right. But because it was so unexpected, it was so surprising and it was just so joyful. And this group of guys was so likable. And on top of all that, Sonny Dykes came in, blew open the doors and said, come be a part of this program. Talk to my players. We talked to a true freshman at the end of the first game of his college career, he was 17 years old, Demonic Williams, after that Colorado game, turned to 18 the next day. And when Mark Cohen walked him down to the locker room, like, I swear, every journalist's jaw in that room <laughs> dropped to the floor because it was a freshman that had just played his first game and we were talking to him. And so, um, yeah, like, like watching TC win a Rose Bowl is probably always going to be the pinnacle of my experience as a fan when it comes to the football program. But this whole ride of a season, I was at the Baylor game when we hit the, the you know, the walk-off kick. Like, there were just so many moments like that where it seemed like this was, the magic was going to stop. And it never stopped. And so, yeah, it was, it was a hell of a lot of fun, guys. Like, I just, I still think back and I'm like, is that a thing that actually happened? And, and like, I got to go to, like, seven or eight of those games. Like, and was on the field, watch, like, just, yeah, that's just never, I've never gotten anything like that. And I don't know that I ever will again. So I, I really just tried to enjoy every moment. Interesting. I was expecting you to come out and say repeat is imminent, but we'll, we'll get to that. Well, so one of the architects of the magical season last year, Garrett Riley, took off for one of the rare outside the program hires at Clemson um, to take the offensive coordinator role there. Kendall Bryles stepping in to replace him as an offensive coordinator brings new weapons, uh, brings, you know, a different philosophy. We usually would start talking TCU with defense, defense, defense in the Patterson days, but we've seen from Sonny that this is, you know, a balanced team, but the offense is driving it. Um, with Bryles stepping into that, what do we expect for the TCU offense? So so we're going to we're gonna jump right into the Bryles conversation, huh, like this early. I mean, we talked about 15 minutes before we started recording, but... <sighs> 
yeah. Um, so it, it's been really interesting. And there's actually been a, a pretty heated conversation around this um, with like kind of my group of like TCU cohorts in that how quickly the fan base rushed in to support and defend a guy that they were so anxious to vilify not that long ago, less than 10 years ago, right? Um, and I think that the 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 success like you said the repeat is imminent i think people so want to believe because it was so fun to see that um they were going to talk themselves i mean if, if they had god forbid hired art riles a large portion of the tcu fan base would have talked themselves into this being the right move and oh it's time for forgiveness and oh we need to move on and everybody deserves a second chance like the heel turn that this fan base has done has been i mean frankly disappointing to watch um if we leave it to just an on the field football perspective, which is really hard for me to do, but yeah. I'm really kind of sick of getting raked over the coals on the message boards and, and on Twitter um, for, I, I kept it very, I just, I, I just didn't want to hear it anymore. So um, I'm going to try to stick to as much football as possible. I think we all know the rest of that. And if you've ever listened to me on one of your podcasts, you guys pretty much know where I stand in life. So right. um, uh, there are some intriguing things that a Kendall Bryles offense does. Um, he obviously people want to point to his success at Arkansas, but I think that a lot of people are looking at that success in the vacuum because you can look at, um, you know, the numbers and the rushing success and all of those things and still see that there were obviously issues with that offense and with that team's success as a whole. And there's a lot of other factors when you play in the SEC West. Absolutely. Can't wait for you guys to experience that soon. Um, but um, best wishes. Um, <laughs> but uh, but there are also there are a lot of holes to that offense. And I think that people were so shocked that Garrett Riley left for Clemson that um, they were really going to embrace his replacement, whoever that was, and act like we didn't need Garrett Riley and that he wasn't the reason that TC was successful. And Sonny Dykes is really the quarterback whisperer and he's the guy moving all the chess pieces. But at the end of the day, Sonny Dykes is very much a CEO type head coach. And that was Garrett Riley's offense. There were complaints. I have complaints. There are th there are situations and, and plays and stuff where I second guess and that because I'm such an expert. Um, but but I certainly had my questions and my queries about some of the decisions that Garrett Riley made in some of those moments. But I'm certainly going to imagine that Kendall Bryles is going to have some questionable decisions too, especially when you look at every quarterback that he is recruited and the quarterback they expect to start in the fall. They're all about like they're all shorter than I am. Um, and so that when you run such a quarterback heavy offense, when you look at what happened to RG three kind of towards the end of his his collegiate career and into the professional ranks that you are you are asking for injury you are asking for um, putting your quarterback often in, in a bad situation and so unless he addresses that um i i still am not fully convinced that this is this is going to work at tcu i do think he's probably got the best collection of skill talent that he's had since his days at baylor um and they continue to sign more and everybody is lauding his recruiting prowess and um, because two four-star quarterbacks a 20 class of 24 and a class of 25 have, have committed to tcu um i'll believe it when they sign like with any recruit right we're not texas we can't we can't get a commitment from a four-star and expect that he's going to stay um but everything is really set up for him to be successful and for the hype train to continue to roll behind Kendall Bryles this year. And so anything but success, um, I'm going to be very interested to see how the fan, bank, fan base kind of changes their tune. If they do put up, you know, 35 to 40 points pretty regularly, which is certainly not out of the realm of possibility if Chandler Morris is healthy, um, then yeah, I mean, it, it'll be easy for him to parlay this into a head coaching job, which this guy is not going to be here for more than three years, period. 
I'll be shocked if he's here that long. This dude wants to be a head coach. That's why he came to TCU. So um, he's going to make a really nice paycheck. He's going to get to get his reputation right because if TCU, the biggest rival of Baylor and the biggest <laughs> hater of the Bryles family, can have a successful Kendall Bryles running their offense, then a lot of doors are going to open for him in the future. I've got a lot of thoughts about the Bryles situation, but I'm not a CC. I'm not a TCU person, so we'll just we'll just. We'll keep it football. We'll keep it football. We'll, we'll just. I listen. I'm happy to dive into it. Like I said, they've already just. Dis- I've already been destroyed so many times. Like what's what's one more? Like it's fine, but it's Melissa. Your 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 character and your record are unimpeachable. So unless you you have something you'd like to get off your chest, as far as the fans of of this podcast and the hosts of this podcast are concerned, you 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 need nothing to explain yourself unless you would like to. But it's just hard. Yeah, it's just hard because. Yeah. You love we I've had so many discussions about this. You know, you love the team. I, I love like I've gotten to know so many of these players. I, I have so much respect for Sonny Dykes. I have so much respect for Paul Gonzalez and Malcolm Kelly and Doug Beecham. And, and th- these guys were so great to work alongside for so much of the last year. Like this staff and, and these kids, it's a really good group of kids. Um, and so I wanna I wanna believe that all the vetting was done. And then I also have to remind myself that Kaz Kazadi deserves a ton of credit for what happened at TCU last year. And everybody was very quick to just kind of wash over. And I wrote a very glowing piece about Kaz Kazadi ahead of the national championship. And so um, I don't think it's hypocritical. I think that, that we, we live in the moment as fans a lot. Right. And, and, Maybe, maybe these guys are doing things the right way. I want to believe that they are. I want to believe that Sonny Dykes runs a tight ship. I want to believe that Jeremiah Donati truly does care about his his students and his student athletes. And I do believe all of those things to be true. Um, but we're never going to get to ask the questions. Um, so we're never going to get to have the answers. And I guess that's kind of the, the frustrating is I, I want to have faith in the leadership at TCU. They've given me no reason not to. I don't want to look back in two or five or 10 years from now and be like, God, I bought into this too. So I, I'm, I'm very hopeful. Um, it's been a lot of, of internal internal struggle with with what level of acceptance I'm going to have. Um, but I just, you know, I, I love TCU and I want to watch my team play football and I want to enjoy it. And I don't want to have to constantly wrestle with the should I or shouldn't eat. But that's I mean, that's all of sports. That's all of music. That's all of art. That's all of everything anymore. It seems like. Right. I'll just I'll just close it and, and say um, my wife. I will never never go into too much detail, but worked with the Baylor team at that time and left and Kaz Kazadi is the one person I've never heard her you know saving it it was a slightly bad word about um she still gets excited when she sees him on tv you know so it's uh I, I would say if if that hire certainly no 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 need to 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 stress you know um I don't think obviously I wasn't there um but anyways it, it, you know it, it is it is uneasy anytime you know fandom intersects to with your, your value system right because we we're, we're tribal we want to support the team that we support you know and and when they do things we don't have the power as fans to sit and say hey let's have a conversation about this i don't necessarily like that you're doing that because at the end of the day we're still just fans and uh you know that's tough right it, it, it's it's unlike your relationships your friends your, your your partners whatever where you get to probably have a little bit more of an equal say in certain things and you can you can uh not just be blindly loyal so yeah. we will hold nothing against you uh melissa i assume jerry feels the same but uh, you're, you're Gerald's always... over there he's tearing up you know <laughs> I see he's taking his glass he gets so emotional um, it's, it's tough I feel bad for you all because the OU Sooner should also take some of this heat for hiring who yes. they did as their offensive coordinator yep. right. he just yep. had the he had a different last name let's all all yep. say right. let's move That's it right. let's move it back on to football so new offensive <laughs> coordinator 
Finally, after it feels like a decade and a half, new quarterback. Uh, we thought Chandler Morris was going to be the guy last year. Got injured. My albatross, Max Duggan, came back in, won the job, held on to it, made it to New York as a Heisman finalist. Uh, we don't have to see him again anymore, which I, I'm yeah. so... He has tormented me. I'm going to have... I would have nightmares about That's ginger quarterbacks. That's how I felt about Sam Ellinger. That's how I felt about Sam Ellinger, Gerald. Love, love so the kid. I feel your pain. Glad to see him go. Great kid. Yeah. Don't ever want to see again. But Morris is jumping into the competition. There's an opportunity for them to try out some of the quarterbacks in that room. Like, what's the what's the quarterback situation going to shake out to be? So it's fascinating um, because, you know, one of the things people don't like to hear is that when Kendall Bryles was first hired, um, he he went after a couple of high-level transfer quarterbacks, and all, all of them somehow went to Ole Miss along with Spencer Sanders. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> Lake Giffen is, is playing quarterbacks like they're Pokemon cards, and there are literally – 74 people in that quarterback room. I don't know why they all wanted to. Well, I'm sure I'm sure I know why they all wanted to go there. <laughs> but at some point, some of those are you're not, not not everybody's getting paid to be the fourth string guy. Right. So so some something's going to change. But it was very weird. Like Ole Miss became like our like Moby Dick. Like we like we just kept losing out to Ole Miss on all of these guys we were trying to get. So. For a long time, all through spring ball, there were two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. And one was Chandler Morris, who has yet to play two full, complete full games for TCU in two seasons. The other is Josh Hoover, who was a, a priority sign for um, Sonny Dykes when he was hired at TCU. That's immediately what he did is went and found this kid. Very raw, very toolsy. You know, if we wanted, I did a lot of air quotes and like, this is an audio <laughs> medium, which is awesome. But um, hopefully you can hear it in my voice. But He's got a lot of pieces and the dude was lights out in spring ball, just like every backup quarterback is in spring ball and everybody gets excited. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, like if Chandler gets hurt again, we're in great shape. He's a red shirt freshman that played like was not like a, a did not have a lot of big time exposure at the high school level, but he certainly has the tools. If he's starting a lot of games for TC, we're probably in trouble. Sonny Dykes and, and Kendall Bryles must have agreed at some point because they went and they found another very exciting name out of the transfer portal. And that's Chance Nolan of Oregon State, um, who is actually a really productive quarterback um, for the Beavers. He got he got hurt. Somebody came and took his place, didn't give up the job. Weird. Um, <laughs> and and he ended up uh, transferring to TCU. So, again, Chance Nolan's a guy that can probably come in and, and win you some games against some mid level competition in the big 12 you don't want him starting a big game against texas or you know even oklahoma maybe well we'll see we'll see but i don't know if i believe in the sooners at all but um but you, you don't want him he's probably not taking you to a, a big 12 championship game unless he just also is just blessed by the just depth of talent the wide receiver and running back position for tcu so um i think everybody feels pretty good about chandler as the starting quarterback if he's healthy but that is a big giant all caps if um because we haven't seen it happen yet and he is a very he's not a very big dude he's put on a lot of good weight but he's still not a very big dude playing in a system where kendall browse is going to run him and ask him to throw on the move um, a lot of what we saw in the spring game was getting the ball out quickly it was it was moving the pocket shifting the pocket the offensive line is a huge question mark for tcu you lost three guys or three guys that are on the on nfl rosters right now going into camp and so um that's a huge question mark but if that offensive line gels together and, and having a really high level functioning offensive line coach and aj rickard gives me a little bit of hope for that plus we went and got just the most gigantic human being on planet earth and willis patrick from jackson state so uh, the offensive line should be okay if it's okay if chandler can stay upright 
there's not a lot of excuses for this offense not to be productive when you even though they lost some really incredible skill talent too there's still a lot of pieces there and my god i think jp richardson's going to be our number one wide receiver from production and that also has me just feeling a certain kind of way and i don't know what that way is that's that's interesting i was going to talk running backs but you set my segue up there because you know we know what was at the top with quentin johnson right um gerald I don't think has ever stopped talking about how much it hurts that he was wearing, you know, just in, in, in absolutely incorrect shade uh, and not an orange. Um, but boy. you know, he, he is gone and he's going to go do to NFL defenders what he did. Um, but Tay Barber, Darius Davis also leaving. Um, I'm blanking right now on the big five star receiver commit who came in last year. And Jordan um, Bailey. Yeah. He was Jordan a four Bailey. star. He was a four star, but he was okay, a high four. Okay, we've okay. never, we've never signed a five star out of high school. PCU never has. Really? Really? I don't, I don't think yeah, I, I do that. I think that, one of our most recent commits will be a five-star by the time he signs. I just hope it's at TCU. Four-star Ladanian Tomlinson is the answer to all. Maybe three, three who, who knows? knows. Uh, no, he answer. was like a two-star. Like, that dude oh, was that, a that's unbelievable. buddy. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, he, he didn't end that way. But no, uh, so we, we, we know what isn't there, and you kind of started to hint at it. So what is there? Because I think there is a lot of talent, obviously. Um, but when you replace that much top end, um, you know, what does it look like? So there's not a Quentin Johnston, right? And and there shouldn't be because if you're trying to expect someone to come in and take Quentin Johnston's place, you're gonna there's a, not a lot of rosters you can look on that have his combination of size, speed, um, ball skills, all of the things, right? And just just general like well being. And oh, I'm so excited! Like, listen, I love Max Duggan. I like if if I had a child, I would probably just rename him right now Max Duggan. <laughs> like, it's fine. Um, he he just he's great all around. Um. But like at the end of the day, like not the best throw of the football we've ever seen in college football, right? And and this dude is going to Justin Herbert. He's going from Max Duggan, whom I love with my whole heart, to Justin Herbert, unless Max <laughs> Duggan somehow ends up QB two and Justin Herbert gets her, and that wouldn't that just be the, uh, <laughs> just the funniest thing? But um, but yeah, so like oh, I can't. He's gonna he's gonna kill it. Like they tried to really like just demean him towards the draft, and I think it's because like teams in the twenties wanted him. But like that dude's gonna kill it at the NFL, and I, I won't hear otherwise. Um. So, yeah, so you, you you lost a lot of talent. Tay Barber is one of the most underrated, just reliable wide receivers in all of college football. He bailed out TCU so many times. They don't win that Baylor game without Tay Barber. Um, but, yeah, so you're left you're left with a lot of question marks. You're left with Savion Williams, who's the guy who looks most like Quentin Johnson, but has had just a real problem catching the football at times. Um, really came on strong. It very Again, just a very likable kid. Someone TCU fans are all rooting for, but every single TCU fan can, can think of a specific third and something that Savion had the ball in his hands and just could not complete the catch or fumble. Like, there, we all have a moment. We all have a Savion moment. So hoping for the best, but he still has a lot to prove. But he's certainly, like, he's like a six-foot-two guy. He's big. He's strong. He's got a lot of talent. Um, he's the guy that's probably the big outside receiver most likely to take a lot of those targets. Um, JP Richardson, which I mentioned, was the most unexciting transfer that TCU got out of the portal until the spring game. And then everyone went, who the heck is this dude from Oklahoma State? He doesn't look like he's going to impress you. There's nothing that he does on paper that makes you say, oh, this looks like an elite wide receiver. But then he just like goes out there and has 417 yards on 15 catches, seven touchdowns. Like he did it to TCU in the Oklahoma State game last year. Like you don't think you have to guard him. He does not look dangerous. And he's just productive as hell. So, so, so every I don't think Oklahoma he's gonna... State receiver other than Justin Blackman? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
Yes, exactly. Um, but he he's just such a he does all the things right. Like he's a great route runner. He understands how to get separation. He's in the right spot. He understands how to, to come back to his quarterback to complete plays. Um, I think he's going to have a really good season. The guy I'm most interested in is Jojo Earl. Um, he's a guy TCU went after yeah. really, really hard out of Alito High School. Um, it was down to us in Alabama. Shocking. We lost that battle. Um, but now he's back and he's had some injuries. He hasn't been full strength, um, but he hasn't had a lot of opportunity either. And so when you look at what he can do in the slot, he does give you kind of a combination of Darius Davis and Tay Barber. He's a little bit bigger and thicker like Tay, but he's got that shiftiness and ability to change directions like Darius Davis. He could be a difference maker. Um, and then there are a lot of young guys. Um, you know, J- Jalen Robinson uh, is another transfer that another kid that had some injury issues out of UCF. I think you've got uh, DJ Allen who's a redshirt freshman freshman who was another really highly thought of kid major Everhart's kind of the wild card to me uh he was he was signed I think as a running back he's just so freaking speedy everybody has kind of been saying like if there's a guy to take the Darius Davis role it's major Everhart he just does and he had a great spring game as well so um not not a super duper star maybe not an all big 12 caliber wide receiver on that list but guys that in this system should be able to be super super productive move the chains get the end zone uh, there's enough speed. There's enough size. There's some good combinations of things. Um, this should be a pretty productive group. You add in the tight end, if you consider them part of the wide receiver. Obviously, Jared Wiley, you guys know well, was awesome last year. TCU yeah. threw to a tight end for the first time in my since uh, the the Sh- uh, Showbo boys back in in my like college <laughs> days. Um, and behind him, uh, the guy a lot of that a lot of people are excited about is is Jack Besh from uh, LSU. He's probably more of a wide receiver than a tight end. I think we'll see him kind of in that H-back role. Uh, Just a very intriguing piece for TCU to kind of move around. Um, There's a lot of things he can do. He's big. He's fast. um, He's got great hands. I think we'll, if if he's healthy, he's had some injury issues too. If he's healthy, uh, he's a guy that can be a real difference maker. You mentioning Jojo Earl in the same conversation as Quentin Johnston is just picking scabs for me. Like Jojo, that that recruitment is one of those that like is emblematic of my frustrations of wide receiver recruiting under tom herman like third school to offer the kid like how the hell are you not in on him at the end like what do you what do you what are you doing it's fine we're not, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that another one that i'm gonna talk about somebody else another one that really frustrates me from the tom herman recruitment um tcu is replacing uh kendra miller who again another one a tcu uh running back that's gonna haunt my dreams forever but um he and both of them are you know, Bijan robinson shut up man Two NFL caliber backs for the last couple of years. Kendra deserved better. It's not. It's not. Yeah, that, but we're Texas. That, it's not that. Ken, it's not that Kendra didn't end up at Texas. It's the last game that Texas played against Kendra Miller that's going to haunt me forever. Like let's just okay. Okay. Just, yeah. Like watching him crush my dreams is. is uh, but anywho, the and then Trey Sanders just decides to you know what I'm gonna, I'm going to come home. That's the part that Jared that's was the part. saying he wanted. This is in the Texas. one that was a big I, Texas recruit. Knicks will remember that the recruitment tr- well. The Trey Sanders recruiting is another. Another one of those Tom Herman recruitments that um we'll just keep on the back burner and we'll talk about in uh, hushed tones. But it seems like he's going to step in, and you know the running back is a key piece of a, of a Bryles offense. So um, you get a guy who you know he hasn't quite lived up to the five star talent yet, but there's you know there's a reason why he was the number one running back coming out of high school. So like, what are the expectations for him stepping into a guy who was not only a fan favorite but you know was arguably one of the best uh, running back in the 
conference last year. So the biggest thing that we're hearing about Trey Sanders is for the first time since before that car accident that really derailed his career, the dude is healthy. And and this is again where I think like the Kaz Kazadi has to come back into the conversation because this dude can transform bodies. And Alabama is a machine. I'm yeah. not taking away anything from what they do in their strength and conditioning program. But I'm and I don't know this, and this is just a hunch. I'm going to guess when you're the guy that's hurt and they've already replaced you with three other five-star guys at your position, they're not super worried about investing in you and your rehab. That's just what I would assume happens down there. If you can't help us, we don't really care about you. And so Tommy Brockermeyer, cough, cough. God, that, that man, <laughs> I just, I hope Tommy can get on the field this year. And I don't think it's going to happen. Like, I think he's a year away from being able to contribute. And that yep. just, that's just heartbreaking. That's another, that's a, that's a Fort Worth kid that had TCU on his radar. We couldn't close the deal. Cause I don't think we had an offensive line coach at the time. Cause we rarely have. Anyway, so supposedly what's coming out of TCU is that Trey Sanders for the first time since before that accident is healthy and he feels good and he looks like he's supposed to look and he's quick and he's strong. If he stays healthy, like he he's going to have to be not necessarily Kendra Miller, but he's going to have to be 80% of what Kendra Miller was, right? Because you do have some great pieces behind him. Amani Bailey, a lot of people, he didn't get a lot of opportunities last year, but when he did, he scored on like, it felt like every like at, two out of every three times he touched the football he got in the end zone he averaged like nine yards a, a rush or something like that like he was really good but then when Kendra is hurt you know in the second half of the fiesta bowl and in the national championship game we barely saw Monty bailey and so there's something i'm wondering what the disconnect is there was he not prepared for that game did they not think they were going to need him was he not part of the game plan he didn't get the opportunity when when the opportunity kind of opened up. So I think we have a lot to see from him. Trent Battle might be one of the surprising guys. He was recruited initially as a quarterback out of a small school in Alabama. He was never going to play quarterback at TCU. Um, but but he's he that dude like every we always we joked because every time Trent Battle went in the game, we always joked he's going to run this kind of like real route and he's going to get the football and no one's going to cover him and it literally happened like five games in a row. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing and no one ever covered him. And they did he did it in the Big 12 championship got a catch like 17 yard pickup on third down or something we're like the trend battle play like he only has one how do people not figure we figured it out how are these people getting paid billions of dollars not figured it out glad that they didn't um and then the other one that's really interesting and the one thing we've seen is that that sunny dykes kettle brothers are not afraid to play true freshman cam cook was a really highly thought you guys know him. he's a round rock kid right so he, he's down outside of austin um another kid he, he's you know he's 511 weighs almost 200 pounds pretty strong he looks like he's going to have an opportunity to contribute as a true freshman too. Oh, and then just also Corey Wren, former Florida State guy, is hanging out there and, and has fresh legs because he basically got a year off as they redshirted him to get him healthy. So, um, again, is there a Kendary Miller? No, there's not a Quentin Johnston, right? Are there a lot of guys that can do a lot of things in order to keep the tread fresh and to be able to show a lot of different looks to defenses? Absolutely. Um, if there's a position group I worry about the least outside of the secondary, it's the running back because those guys should be pretty much plug and play at this point. Lots of talent, lots of speed, and a couple of really strong guys that can run you over too. Um, I'm pumped for kind of the thunder and lightning combination of a Trey Sanders, Amani Bailey, and, and throw in a little bit of Trent Battle, Corey Wren, Cam Cook just to, to spice things up a little bit. It should be They should be a fun group to watch if the offensive line is competent. I love a so Stony hinted, Point running back, by the way. Who doesn't love a running back from Stony Point? You hinted at the defense a little bit, the cornerback group in particular, but this is a defense overall. As much success as TCU had, that you wouldn't look at just the, the metrics and say they were elite, right? They were good, could be inconsistent. At times, Texas game, for instance, 
unbelievably good. Um, you know, I think the uh, defensive efficiency and, and certain advanced metrics like them, but you're losing a little bit of, of top-end talent as well from from the defensive side. You do return uh, a lot in the secondary. You return a guy who, who I had to, to double-check when you were on this podcast last year if his name was actually Demonic, um, who looks to be a dude. Um, but, I mean – Start with whichever of those groups, back to front or front to back. It, it might make sense with the TCU team, as it often does with the, those great secondaries you've had over the year. And just tell us, um, you know, where the strengths of the defense are, and, and, and you know, where where you're, you're you're looking to see. Well, let's start with the back because that's where it's the best. And you know, I think one of the things that we really noticed with with Joe Gillespie's defense is you got to remember these kids that that signed with TCU for the last twenty five years had this four two five drilled into their head, and that was the expectation. And Joe Gillespie's system is very, very different. You know, going from a four two five Gary Patterson system to a spill and kill three three five Joe Joe Gillespie, it took quite a bit of an adjustment. And I think what we saw is a they got up for that Texas game. I mean, those man, like we always get up for Texas, we got up for texas i mean it was we could tell i mean yeah you think yeah a little bit um shutting up that hundred thousand people was pretty cool but um but yeah so so they played but they started they played so much better down the stretch even if they were still giving up yards and points they were a lot more effective in what they wanted to do they were in the right places teams were still making plays i mean we saw what happened michigan michigan made a lot of i'm not even going to talk about georgia michigan made a lot of plays they were able to hang around because they were able to find some weakness, but this was such an opportunistic group, especially down the stretch. And every time you saw a crack, they came back with a pick six. I mean, it was, it was just unbelievable. And it was because they started to understand where they were supposed to be and were able to get there quickly that the thinking stopped and the, the action and reaction kind of took over. And, and that's why they were, they were able to be more effective in those last few games. They still gave up points that this was not an elite unit, especially what was what you're used to at TCU, but, but it was an effective unit for most of the time. Um, they return almost everybody from the secondary outside of Travis Hodges Tomlinson, who was an elite Thorpe winner. So like, yeah, like not just big, replacing big him. <laughs> big, well, small piece, big player, right? Yeah. Um, love it. Like, just like, I think all of us teared up when he got drafted because all of us were afraid he wasn't going to. And it was just such a cool moment to see that dude works so hard. He's oh. earned every, every bit. A linchpin is a small piece as well, but it keeps the whole vehicle together, right? Wow. Man, that's, that's, deep. A metaphor. that's deep. That's deep. <laughs> Hmm. Um, I love that. Uh, that's actually really good. I have to remember that one. It might be good for a, for a student somewhere down the line. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, that's inspirational words. Um, so yeah, so everybody comes back and this is a really fun unit. It's a super aggressive unit. It's a unit with a ton of personality, which again, would never have been allowed a couple of years ago at TCU. Right. Um, but you, you bring back Mark Perry, God bless him, just terrible in pass coverage, but the kind of guy you want on your football team, great and run support, amazing leader, uh, watching him in tears after the Fiesta Bowl, sitting in front of the bench, head in hands, like just kind of walk by and put my hand on his shoulder. And it's like, it was, th this is why he came here, right? Cause he wanted to win. He wanted to experience this. And that's why he came back is because he knows now his role as the leader with that secondary. He's, he's a great guy to have. Um, super excited about Josh Newton. Um, he, I think has a chance to not just be an all big 12 performer, but potentially an all American. Uh, he was so good last year. Like it's it, Travis Hodges Tomlin won the Thorpe award. You could make an argument that Josh Newton was the best cornerback on that team. Uh, he was outstanding. Um, just really, really great. You get a, an important transfer in Avery Helm. You get a good Juco guy in Shannon Canada to kind of fill the, the THT spot on the other side. Again, don't expect either of those guys to be Travis Hodges Tomlinson, but where, where he lost some battles just due to his size, those guys are going to lose some battles due to not having the skill set 
probably going to come out in the wash, you know, ultimately. I, I think we'll be fine at the opposite corner. Everyone's been very impressed with Avery Hellman. He's like 6'3". Like, when's the last time PC had a six foot three cornerback? It's amazing. Never. And then, yeah, never, right? And then at safety, um, you've got Nook Bradford back. You've got Bug Clark. You've got Abe Kamara. You've got uh, sophomore Chase Biddle, who was someone as a freshman that everybody was really excited about. Um, Brandon uh, Fontenelle, uh, Fontenette, uh, one of the highest rated recruits um, that TCU signed in this class, would not be shocked at all to see him on the two deep as a true freshman. The dude looks ready to play college football um, just out of the wash. And apparently everybody's very excited about what he can do. So secondary looks like it can be an elite unit. And what I like about it is it goes too deep almost across the board with guys that you trust to be out there in a pass heavy league um, or whatever the big 12 has become, which, which you could argue is not that anymore. Um, but I feel really good about that. That's where most of the good news stops. Um, we have a ton of question marks at the next two levels. So linebacker, it's either going to be really, really good or really, really bad. And I don't think it's anything in between. Uh, there were so many injuries at linebacker for TCU. I mean, they were really shoestringing this thing together at the end of last year. I mean, even Johnny Hodges was basically being taped together those last few games. He's back. He's healthy. I think he's going to be great. Um, Jamoy Hodge, who unfortunately gained a little bit of a reputation as a quarterback killer. Um, there was one dirty hit. The rest were just football plays that just were just at, ended poorly. Um, but he's again, has his weaknesses, but he's, He's a bad dude to have to have in that middle level. You do not you do not want to be a quarterback coming around the edge and be staring down at Jamoy Hodge. Your day is not going to be great. Um, they moved Namdi Obiezar from safety to linebacker because again, Love there's it. just not a lot there. I think that's a great fit for him, but I also have no idea what that's going to mean the first couple of weeks of the season. <laughs> um, and behind him, you have two guys that are all promise but have a lot to prove. And Marcel Brooks, who if he hadn't gotten hurt last year. I think he would have been a huge piece for TCU. Um, he's an LSU transfer. He Gary Patterson brought him in, the defensive mastermind, and somehow Marcel convinced him to move him to wide receiver for a period of time. He's back where he belongs at linebacker. <laughs> Dude is a freak athlete, um, and and he's a great leader. He's, he was really the emotional leader for this team last year, even as even though he was on the sidelines injured all season. Um, and then Shadrach Banks, former AM transfer, another guy that uh, is just so weirdly athletic for that position uh he's a freak he could do a standing like like literally after games he would just be standing and all of a sudden he just would do a standing back tuck and you're just like <laughs> you're like six foot three and weigh like 280 pounds like this is not normal wide receiver right he was another it he was came recruited in as, as a wide, wide receiver, receiver. yeah, yeah. yeah, he, yeah. He, he went to a&m he played wide receiver he came to tcu under an offensive mastermind and they moved him to linebacker <laughs> I, I don't know what's happening um, and, and then but like what other guy like Thomas Armstrong and Zach March Shelley, Zach actually played quite a bit last year, wasn't bad. Thomas Armstrong was a guy who looked really great in fall camp and then got hurt um in the open like early in the Colorado game. Um he's on your three deep. Jonathan Bax, another if there's an if there's a true freshman that has a chance to be like, you know, an all big 12 second or third team. If he gets the playing time, Jonathan Box is probably that guy. Not a lot of people were talking about him coming out of Memphis. He was like a four-star recruit. He was a pretty big guy. Dude has been apparently like one of the most impressive players on defense um, through the spring. We'll see. We'll see what happens in the fall, but he's definitely somebody to keep an eye on. Um, and the news gets really bad. Uh, the defensive line, I, I am concerned. Um, it has been a problem. The pass rush has been a problem for TCU for most of the last probably four seasons. There have been some really talented players. There's not been a lot of production. They were much better 
better last year, but they still weren't an elite unit. And we saw that in the Big 12 championship. Colin Klein, or not Colin, oh my God, Colin Klein. Did I really just do that? <laughs> Will Howard. Felt like Colin Klein. There, there yeah. is, there is, but one Kansas State quarterback who who is a different jersey and a slightly different face that yeah. he Snyder wizards onto him. You know, it, his, it is all one. His name was oh. Robert Paulson, right? <laughs> a mono QB. Well, that's the most accurate thing, Kyle. Honestly, you've ever said like that. Like, <laughs> uh, we should end it here. Uh, that is the truth of all truths. Um, I cannot wait for the Kansas State people to come after you in the comments. Um, love it, love it. It's so true. It's so true. Anyway, it's Will not, Howard. It's not an insult. It's not an insult. It's just a fact. Will Howard uh, had all day to throw in the Big Twelve Championship. Uh, we finally got to him a little bit um, on some some blitzes and some different things, but yeah, he it, it was bad. Things were bad. Um, so here's a fun one. So your pal, Demonic Williams, who you had to Google and make sure that was his name, was a nose tackle, is now a defensive end. I, Over 300, right? He's a big boy. Oh, he's a big boy. Yeah. Uh, I'm very intrigued. And apparently he's good at it. He's also okay. just, again, just a freaky athlete. So um, he is is going to have to be a big part of that. After that, you're looking at a lot of like red sh- redshirt seniors who are still here because they haven't had the production to be elsewhere. Um, a lot of really young guys um, and, and just a lot of questions and a lot of inexperience. And so uh, that to me is kind of where this it's going to start and end in the trenches like it does every season. But the defensive line has a lot to prove early on um, this year. I, I think Paul Oyewale, I um, hope I didn't butcher that too bad, is a really intriguing prospect. He's just a freaky athlete, very long, very rangy, does a lot of things, but he's not a very big guy. Um, he's, he is someone who can, who can step in, um, Tymon Mitchell, the former Georgia Bulldog, uh, played a, a pretty good role. Like he was, he was a very solid piece. So he, he's going to play quite a bit. Um, outside of that, I am just going to be very interested to see who ends up winning some starting jobs. Um, don't be surprised too, if there are some interesting, um, position changes in, in fall camp as well, when it comes to defensive line, cause there's not a lot of depth. Um, and there, there is not, um, a lot of experience and they're just, aren't a lot of guys who have proven it at this level. And so um, answering that question for Joe Gillespie, I think is, is his biggest challenge of fall camp and the biggest determination determiner of what TC is going to be able to do this fall. I'm I'm not, there's so much in there that I want to, I want to unpack, but I think that the, the uh, nose tackle playing defensive end is like my dream as somebody who played nose tackle for a while. I was, I could be good at this. I never was, but it's fine. So let's, let's, let's put a button. It's- it's your six foot six frame, Gerald. Exactly. That, that, that you thought lent you to that, right? Totally, yeah. totally. Yep. <laughs> six foot six, wearing eighteen inch risers. It's fine. No. Um, so let's let's just let's just put a button on the football portion of this conversation. Um, you know, Cinderella put on the dress and, and went to the ball last year. Let's just be honest. Nobody expected that from TCU, and you know they they capitalized on everything that was in there. So you know what does what does Cinderella do after the ball's over? It's like what is the expectation for TCU this year? There's a big reload happening coming off of one of the biggest years in school history. It's like what is what's the expectation? What's a successful season for you? How well, does Cinderella it. adopt to the domestic life at home after she's found the prince? You know, what is it really like? What I mean, what's her day like? What she got to get up early? I mean, is she back to my anyway? I'm I'm kidding. Please I mean, listen. Ignore me. <laughs> first, she has to jump in the carriage and hope it doesn't turn into a pumpkin while she's driving it, right? And that's Fair. game one. Fair. That's game one because you're 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 going to have all eyes on you on Big Noon Saturday. You're the, right. the defending runner-up, and everyone. I'm going to hear that freaking what sixty-two to seven, a hundred thousand. It's going to be my new sixty-one fifty. <laughs> Um, but you're, those signs are going to be, but you've got big noon kickoff. You've got 
uh, Colorado coming in town. Big noon kickoff is not there because TCU was the national runner up. Big noon kickoff is there because Deion Sanders is. And the force I was I was talking to Brian Howell, the beat reporter for for the Colorado Buffaloes the other day, and um, Brian's great. He's a great guy. I almost feel bad for him for what he's had to endure the last like <laughs> eight months. Um, but we we both like a man. Like we talked a year ago. And we were both in such different places with our football programs. <laughs> and, we, and neither one of us would ever have expected like where this last season took us um, and, and where it would put us today. Like it, it's so funny to think about, but um, yeah, you know, I, I've used this on a lot of, a lot of places, but I said, it's it, to me, it's the thing that, that most kind of rides with me going into this season is that in 2014, every year, Gary Patterson always had an expression. He always had a saying for the team. And in 2014, the saying going into that season when TC was picked, I think, to finish seventh, like just like they were this past year, the saying was prove them wrong. Nobody expects anything. Nobody believes in you. Nobody thinks you're going to do anything. Go out and prove them wrong. And TC did. They had a magical 2014 season. They should have gone to the college football playoffs. They kicked the ever-living snot out of Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl. They finished, you know, I think ranked, what, like number three or, or maybe even number two in the country or something that year. It was a, a great ride. Um the next year, coming into 2015 season, TC was a preseason number two in the country. Trayvon Boykin was a Heisman candidate. Gary Patterson saying was, now you got to prove them right. And it is so much easier to prove people wrong than it is to prove them correct mm. when they mm. believe in you. And, and really in life, right? Like it's it's really, it's it's the, what's the saying? Like, let everybody think you're a fool. Don't open your mouth and prove to them that they're right. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. Sonny Dykes inherited a lot of talent and a lot of pieces and a lot of experience and he did something that hadn't been done for the previous three or four years he maximized it and he put those guys in position to succeed max duggan's the exact same dude in 2022 that he was you know in 2021 in 2019 2018 obviously he'd matured and grown but all of a sudden he was playing in an offense that made sense for him and that's what sunny dice did is he exploited the talent that he had he made it work he caught lightning in a bottle and he rode the hell out of it. And I give him all the credit in the world for that because I don't know that anybody else would. It certainly wouldn't have happened. That season, I love Gary Patterson. We owe Gary Patterson so much. That season does not happen if Gary Patterson's still the head coach, right? It yeah. just doesn't for so many reasons. So, but now, now he's proved all the doubters wrong. He's the cover boy on Dave Campbell's Texas, you know, football magazine. Now he's got to prove that it wasn't just luck and it wasn't just kind of circumstantial that, that he can build not just a successful team, but a successful program. And now it's a lot of his guys. And so I think we all expect there to be a slight step back. I don't, I don't think if you ask me today, I don't think TC plays for a big 12 championship necessarily this year. I think the the two best rosters and the two best teams right now are Texas and Kansas state. And now we know that's not, it's not usually the two best teams that end up playing. Sometimes it is, but yeah, you, you guys are Texas guys, you know, um, but <laughs> been there. But yeah, but that but that's kind of that's what it should be on paper. But the thing I will say if, if for TC fans, I would imagine that if we get around Thanksgiving and TC is not in contention to be in Arlington a couple weeks down the line, that's people are going to start getting a little bit antsy. Um, Jeremiah Donati, our athletic director, capitalized like crazy in a way that CDC must have been so proud. Like I'm sure he sat in his gilded gold suite at DKR with just a single tear rolling down his eyes thinking, my son, you've made me so proud um, because <laughs> because people were running up to Jeremiah Donati with this like bags of cash and saying, do you want it? And he just kept <laughs> saying yes. And I give him so much credit for for striking while the iron was hot, maximizing the opportunity that he had. And he soaked every last dime out of that run in a way that like is going to change TC's trajectory for years to come. So now you got all the money. Now you got to give the ROI. 
And people are going to be wondering if I'm investing, what am I getting in return? And it doesn't mean you have to go to the playoffs this year because this is last year, the four teams, but it means your team better be pretty damn good. It means mm -hmm. you better continue to recruit at a high level. And it means when it's a, you better be setting up for when it's 12 teams a year from now and Texas and Oklahoma have left the big 12, that TCU is the flag waiver and the standard bearer. Because even though I think Kansas state is the best roster. And even though Oklahoma state has, has had so much, you know, long-term success, if TCU is not the flagship program of the new Big 12, they have done something wrong, at least for the next five years, right? You could see a Houston or UCF ultimately maybe maybe take that mantle as public universities, but right now it's TCU's for the taking, and that's what needs to be set up. And Sonny Dykes has been trusted to lead the ship that direction, and that's what he's going to have to prove. He's going to get some grace in 2023 if he needs it, but you better beat Colorado. You sure as hell better beat Texas the last time they come to Fort Worth. You better beat Baylor. And you better you better be you know an eight nine team is November eight nine win team is November is is winded down with a lot of positive recruiting momentum for the class of twenty twenty five and and I think that the pieces are there to do that, um, but but he's got to he's got to prove that now that he's been handed the keys to the kingdom that that he knows he knows how to how to kind of drive the cart down the path in a way that that ensures TCU isn't just a one year great story but but a regular competitor on the national stage. Interesting to me when you talked about the the new uh, flag bears of the Big Twelve, you, you didn't mention Baylor, and that's fine. That's uh, you know, <laughs> the, who uh, TCU uh, truest through and through. Let's so Gerald and I have renamed this final segment. This is why people come to the podcast. I think every year, but I think we found one. I like this, uh, and, and it works for for the styles of offense that that both our, our head coaches like to run. We're calling this section hurry up offense. So we're going to hit you as you know with some uh, some rapid fires here just let it as you as you always do let it let it roll off. Um we're going to give you a scenario to start based on what you just said there. I think this this works. Here's the uh, walk down this this uh, uh this hypothetical with me. You beat Texas in that final Big 12 matchup in Fort Worth, but TCU goes 7 and 5 or TCU goes 9 and 3, but one of those losses is Texas. Which one are you taking today? Can I ask what is Texas's record at the end of the nine and three season? That's a fair caveat for this hypothetical, because we know Texas is you know going to win either nine, ten, or eleven or twelve games. Um, or seven, fourteen. 14. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's say it's it's a it's a big win. Texas is a top 17 ish team at that time. Uh, so as much as I hate losing to Texas. I still want for the future of the program because um, I because this is what I think I, I'm still taking the nine and three season. Let me tell you why. And I was <laughs> supposed to be rapid fire, but I always have a have a, a conversation. <laughs> Here's the thing: Texas fans are going to leave, and they're going to be so relieved to get away from TCU. They're never going to talk to us again. Correct. But this is not going to be held out of our head because at the end of the day, we're still going to end up being what, like, like eight and three or something, or so, yeah. So I, I we don't want, do numbers I want the on wins. this podcast. Oh, we, okay. <laughs> I want the win. I want the better bowl game. I want the positive momentum. I'll, I'll let Texas have that little their cute little victory. We'll send you off with a goodbye <laughs> present. Have fun in the SEC. Cash those checks, CDC. Cash those checks, baby. So if Sonny Dykes was to pick up one of the mantles of Gary Patterson and write a country song about last season. <laughs> what would he call it? What would be the name of Sonny Dyke's country song for the 2022 football season? The Ballad of the Ginger Gunslinger. Ooh. <laughs> That's a, that, is, that is way better than I was anticipating and I knew it was going to be good.
I feel like we can get that made. Um, I think we can make that, you know, we, we've got some connections. We've got some people. There's a lot of, there's apparently there's some famous country music writer that graduated from TCU. He's like a red dirt country guy. My, my pals, Grant McGalliard and, and Parker um, uh, Fleming like to talk often about this guy. I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to them and see if we can get, make that happen. As a fan of classic Westerns, that also sounds like, like the lost Sergio Leone movie, movie. like the, <laughs> the ballad of the ginger gunslinger. I can like, I can just hear it. I can see it. Like the lost, the lost spaghetti Western. As a, as a proud film degree holder from TCU, I'd rather make it a movie than a country song personally. Fair. So. Fair. Script uh, writer of the year, 2001. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Um, not to brag, uh, but yeah, that's, it, that's, that's, uh, you could, you should have that on your resume for sure. So look. Th- oh, I do. I absolutely do. Come on. <laughs> I don't care that it was 22 years ago. So is there another, I guess, now that you, you've put it out there, the, the magical ginger, uh, you know, was played um, by Max Duggan. But it is it is a role, you know, in, 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 in a movie trope. A mantle. In, in TCU, specifically a, a mantle in TCU that someone takes up every year, this mythical, magical ginger man who does things beyond his powers. Is there a ginger we should know about and fear uh, for this year? Uh, yeah, my four-month-old niece. Um, I'm certainly afraid of her. I'm about to spend a long weekend down in the Bay Area, and I'm deathly afraid of her. Uh, uh, but like in a good way. Is there a magical ginger? That's. It just you have Andy Dalton to to Max Duggan. I assumed it was like a Stark and Winterfell. There must always be one. Yeah, that's a great great question. Is I'm looking I'm looking at the roster. Uh, Chandler's not a ginger. He's more of a sandy blonde. Okay. Mm. Um, Could be convincing to dye his hair. I could talk to him. Um, we do have a ginger. He's a backup linebacker, and his mm. name is Luke Lingard. And that's strong. It's a str- it's a really strong contender. Um, he's probably gonna be like a like a fifth string. So um, <laughs> let's just if he's carrying the mantle, something has either gone really really right or really really wrong. Um, four four special teams fumble recoveries or something ridiculous like that. Okay, I'm here for that. All I'm against here for that. Iowa State. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They, no, Levi said they hired a coach. Now they have a they have a coordinator. They finally have a special yeah. teams coach. Um, yeah, I I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you a guy that I think is like you think about Max being the emotional leader, right? The spiritual leader of this team. I fully expect that mantle to be taken up by Bud Clark. Hmm. Bud Clark is the guy that that you know I you you heard a lot from from Josh Newton as an emotional leader, kind of in fall camp. But Bud Clark is that guy that. You love like if he's smiling, things are going well, and he was always smiling last year. So I, I think I think Bud Clark's the name a lot more people are going to know this year. Especially when he runs for office, Bud Clark sounds like the mayor of a medium-sized town. Oh, and he's got he's got the smile to <laughs> to pull it off. The kids the kids just electric. Go go back to his hometown of Alexandria, Louisiana. Bud for mayor. I think he might actually be from Alexandria. <laughs> he's definitely from Louisiana, so. Who knows? Oh my but, God, he is from Alexandria. Did you know that? Like, so seriously, did you actually know that he's legitimately from Alexandria? I, Louisiana? I will admit, I pulled it. Uh, I think I remembered seeing something that he was from Louisiana. I did not know Alexandria, but uh, I pulled that one a bit out of the ether. That was. I was thinking. Oh I know a lot of Louisiana God. towns, but that uh, you know that was the first one that came up. I, oh. I mean, I. We might end the podcast there, Gerald. I don't think it's going to be better than that. <laughs> that, that. That is at least a Podstradamus extra point for Kyle coming this <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, that's a half point. <laughs> if we tie, that's a half point. Okay, fair. We'll keep it. Somebody keep, keep, keep score for us. No. So last question I want to leave you with, because this is uh, presumably the last preseason podcast that we're going to get to do with you, which sucks, and I hate saying it out that's loud. But, right? Mm-hmm. Right? It's been... Mm-hmm. 
It feels like it's been forever, but um, one thing at least five of these, at yeah. least legitimately six, maybe. Yeah, it's I think been six. But a long time. One thing to just joke about is, is that you know Kyle and I fear the color purple specifically because TCU. So, um, who is the team that TCU is going to pick to bully now that Texas is leaving the Big Twelve? That's a good one. Um, you know, I'm I'm going to go this direction, and I'm going to say BYU. I love it because Ooh. that. That rivalry back in the Mount West Conference days was so intense. Like, I don't think most people knew how great that rivalry was because it was being played in the Mountain West <laughs> and at like at like midnight Eastern, right? On a Saturday. Um, that, but like, I think we saw BYU and Baylor kind of did that little home and home, and those were some pretty heated games. BYU is sneaky, feisty. You know, everybody thinks of how nice they are. No, mm-mm, mm-mm, that's a dirty team. <laughs> and uh, their we fan know. base. Yeah, yeah, you guys know. You've had some back and forth with them too. Um, their fan base is is like what I like to call bless your heart nice, which you guys I'm <laughs> sure are well aware of. Um, and it's that like like it's fun to try to explain that saying to people out in California of you know, if I tell you bless your heart, like that's not it's not a nice a thing. thing. <laughs> uh, it's not a nice thing to say. So um and they they are very much a bless your heart fan base. Um and also like BYU TikTok is just really fascinating and it just sucked me in. Um and and so I just have so many thoughts about so many things about that university. Um I think that that we are going to make BYU um that's that's gonna be the one. Um because and I also think they're probably the farthest behind being ready to compete at a really high level in a conference schedule like that. Like they might be, I mean, they're throwing a ton of money at NAL, NIL they might be, but they also have a lot of restrictions that not a lot of schools are going to have as far as guys they can sign and guys they can keep. Um, so I, I, I pick BYU. That's what I'd like it to be. Uh, I don't really like Baylor. Obviously I don't have ill will towards Houston. I'm sure I will. <laughs> um, UCF. Like they're cute. They're from Florida. I'm afraid of Florida. Um, every time I went to Florida when I was doing sales, somebody had was eating somebody's face on the freeway because of bath salts. Like that was a time to be alive. Florida man. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm just afraid. Of, I don't want to mess with them. Oh, the bath salts look really cool, and I definitely want to go to a game there. And then Cincinnati, like I just feel bad for them. They're going to be so bad this year. Yeah. So BYU, BYU is the one. I love it. Bonus, bonus question. Name that rivalry. Oh, it's um. It, oh, it had no. It had a name. I think. Mm. Oh, I don't know. We got to come up with it. Okay, so Cougars and Horned Frogs. Um, horny Cougars? No. Um, I don't know no. what we follow up with that. No, just no. We, we, we have a clean test. Especially, especially given that this is a, uh, a a Texas Christian versus the, the, the pristine reputation of the Mormons. Do not do that. What does the C in Christian stand for in your university thing? I'm like, I cannot, like, oh, uh, I can't, like, I cannot with people like, what is that C supposed to mean? Are you supposed to be a Christian? I hate that. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't know that I can top that, but I think it's it's something worth exploring this off season. Uh, we don't play BYU this year, I don't think. Uh, maybe we do. Maybe we do in Fort Worth. We might in Fort Worth. Um, I should know these things. I don't. Um, but oh no, we do. We get them at home. So I, I'm by October 14th. We'll have, we'll have a, a we'll have a rivalry. Name that rivalry for for sure. You guys fair, can fair enough. Show. You can break the news on your podcast. I'm sure you you can come. You can come for a yeah. uh, a one minute update. We have a one okay. minute update throwing to Melissa Tree Blosser. <laughs> that would actually be kind of amazing. So I love it. So Melissa, I I hate to end it, but I don't know what to do. Like I'm like I don't want this to end, but like we also have to end because we have other stuff to talk <laughs> about, right? Uh, but Melissa, 
it has been incredible having you as as one of our like you know certified friends of the pod and all that like we say but uh man thank you so much for for your time if folks want to keep up with you and all of your kind of big time stuff at, at dave campbell's where can they find you on the internet uh you can find me at the coach melissa on twitter um at the frogs insider patreon and you can find us on the republic of football feed as well as the frogs insider channel on apple spotify wherever you find your podcast um hopefully we pop it up a lot of places this fall excited to be a part of it and gentlemen listen it has truly been my honor we have a we have a game that we'll preview i'm gonna make you guys come on our podcast too to talk to with jamie and i about yes. texas football don't worry you're not done with me yet <laughs> and even though i know texas is going to be far too afraid to play tcu once they leave the big 12 <laughs> and no longer are required to maybe maybe one of these years down the line we'll get it we'll find another reason to talk there's always baseball and basketball yeah. and other things we'll we'll, we'll find and I guess we could still be friends. Yeah, yeah. We'll meet, meet in, in the playoffs in the College World, World Series, Series at least. Man, like oh, y'all, like listen, like I, like Stanford's my second team because I got family connections there, and I wanted to throw up in my mouth. I did. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I, I have never felt worse for a player whose yeah. team I wanted to lose than I did in that moment. Yeah. Right. Like, oh. Oh, that was just, I can't, yeah, I can't believe we didn't even get to that. But um, I just, I just hope, I hope it wasn't bad for that point. Cause I could also made the throw of the year a game prior. Yeah. You know, so it's like he made one of the best plays of the season and just the sunken diamond gets you, man. I will, I will say, Melissa, if you're wondering how that kid is doing, you should, and of course you and all your hundreds of thousands of listeners that come with you should stick around to the closing segment of this podcast where I will. Give the, the listeners a little bit of an update on that, but I won't tip my hand yet. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll be tuning in, of course. So <laughs> I will skip past the the part where I hear my voice because I hate the sound of my <laughs> voice, like everyone who podcasts, but I will I will tune in for that. I mean, I listen to our, our podcast at like double speed, so I don't have to listen to myself uh, at the same pace, but it's fine. Melissa, thank you so much again. And yeah, we'll, we will have to just create opportunities to, to talk. Like, yeah. stay, was, yeah. We'll do a Stanford preview and bring you on because you like Stanford, right? It is what it Perfect. is. Perfect. I love Yeah. <laughs> Uh, are we are we meeting in Fort Worth on November 11th? You know, it gets a little bit easier for me. I'm I'm in San Antonio now, so like it, it might make it a little, okay. so it's possible. I want to get my kids out to some football games, so it's all in all possible we can make that happen. Well, if you want your kids to love Texas football, don't bring them to the TC game on November 11th. But it's fair. if you if you want them to like a good school, um, they can come. They can they can come watch. So I I am flying I'm flying out for that one for sure. So it, yeah, right. maybe. Maybe have we? I don't think I've met either of you guys ever in person. I don't I? think so either. I, I don't, don't know that so. you exist below the shoulders, Melissa. Like, let's just be honest here. <laughs> I'm, I would stand up, but I don't want to ruin the mystique. That's fair. So, I appreciate that. Keep it. Keep it. Yeah, good. <laughs> guys, always a pleasure. Always enjoy talking to you. Did I beat Levi? I doubt I beat, beat Levi. This is like a solid hour, which is pretty good for us, to be honest. So this is this is a short one for us, but I think Levi may yeah. have you by a couple of minutes. Man, he always does. Or I tell you. Yeah. Or, or 35. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Awesome. He did the Midwest goodbye to us, which I'm doing to you right now. He showed me. It's like you say, all right, Levi, that's done. And then it just, you know, it's the 30 minute goodbye. Keeps going. Yeah. So, yeah. So we love him. One of the many reasons. <laughs> One of the many. All right. Melissa, well, so thanks again, friend. <laughs> Honestly, this was great. Always hard to follow up the interview with Melissa, but we'll try it with what we like to call Down the 40, our opportunity to whip around the rest of campus and talk about the stuff that we haven't talked about yet. And we're going to stick with football to kick it off. The June recruiting window, the summer recruiting window for visits is coming to a close and Texas did it big like they seemingly do every year in that final window, bringing all the blue chippers to campus and got some uh, action both uh, verbally and silently out of that weekend. But 
Some of the biggest ones, one that happened before that four-star running back Christian Clark out of Mountain Point, uh, Phoenix High School, number 286 overall, number 23 running back committed right before the weekend and then coming out of the weekend, top 40 player, number 39 overall, Jarrett Gibson from IMG Academy committed to the Longhorns as well. Tashard Choice basically said, I'm done by June. I'm going on break. He locked up both of the running backs in this class absolutely crushed it and really i don't know if there's anybody at this point maybe outside of like brian hartline at ohio state that's recruiting their position better than tishard choice yeah i think that's a fair assessment hopefully we get to say kyle flood at, at texas but sark is known as a quarterback whisperer and a a you know receiver uh catapulter to to the first round uh understandably so with his offense but the man just churns out thousand yard rushers and, and, and dudes who get drafted. So um, the combination of Sark plus choice is uh, seemingly a formidable one. Uh, remember choice, not only coached Bijan, but also recruited and coached uh, the uh, second running back drafted the other first round running back in, in Jameer Gibbs at Georgia tech. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's the, the, the pedigrees there as a player, as a coach, as a recruiter, he's just such a phenomenal. I remember specifically sitting on this show and talking about what will it be like when we lost uh, our, our, you know, current wonderful uh, recruiter running back coach to be the head coach at temple. Um, and it's like, man, can choice recruit that? Yeah, yeah, he can. And, and the room is just stocked and the pipeline is good. I mean, uh, Gibson is a top 40 player, depending on your site, either the one or two running back in, in the country, which I just love the idea that, you know, we get the best running back out of Florida every year. That's, that's something we can do, um, as or, well. Or the number um, one running back every year, either way, regardless of where they're at. Correct. It's whichever is, uh, whichever is whichever higher. Is higher right? That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean, you beat Georgia in, in for, uh, for Jared Gibson, you beat out Miami as well, but Georgia head to head a couple times. That's, that's big, right? Like Georgia couldn't be riding any higher than they are right now. Um, and he's a kid from IMG, which, you know, love the let's open Mater Day pipeline IMG. Let's get, uh, let's get those big kind of, uh, aggregators, uh, at the high school level, basically the chat GPT for, for uh, recruiting. They've already done the work for you. Um, let's get some of those kids at UT, um, and all around back there. And then, you know, let's not forget, you know, it, it's tough when you get two backs in a week, uh, Christian Clark coming from, from Arizona, from the Phoenix area. Um, the last running back commit from the state of Arizona, uh, I don't know if he has as much mustard a- a- as him, but it was a pretty good one. So not, um, not too shabby. Yeah, so you know, it's I, I am very excited about uh, both of these guys. Um, I, I'm curious to see with Clark being a, such a dual threat player, what he looks like in the run and pass game. But uh, yeah, I mean, th- this is uh, this is a, a team that last year with Bijan Roshan showed a two running back system. There's about five on campus that you know could could play on Sundays. So just keep the pipeline coming. Worry about sort out the problem later of having too many dudes. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case, right? Just get him here and let Sark sort him out, right? I, I think that's going to be the thing. And you're going to see some attrition from this group, I think, sooner rather than later just because back-to-back number one running backs, two in this class, the numbers are going to squeeze at some point. But again, that's a good problem to have. And, you know, we talk about you know Jonathan Brooks is probably going to be the guy this year. Sark likes to have one guy. But that room got Keelan Robinson, Jaden Blue, who, uh, if you don't remember, Jaden Blue mm-hmm. was the number one running back in the country until he decided to uh, sit out his senior year and certain uh, outlets decided to tank his rating because of it. That's neither here nor there. But, like, this is a really stacked running back room. And so uh, I'm excited to see – I'm like – 
I know a lot of the conversation is about Jared Gibson, which it should be. He is an all-around, like, he's a star-quality guy. But, like, Christian Clark, 1,100 total yards, 16 touchdowns, almost 400 uh, receiving of that 1,100. Like, that dude is the type of running back that really thrives in this, like, RPO system because you have to account for him in both phases of the game. You have to watch him on the run, and if they pull the ball on the RPO, you've got to watch him in the pass game as well, which we saw Bijan and Roshan both find a ton of success in this offense doing that last year. Arizona high school running backs running the wheel route in DKR is is a beautiful a beautiful pipeline. Speaking of pipelines that I need Texas to establish, Atascasita, four-star <laughs> interior offensive lineman Nate Kibble decides to call it for the Longhorn 6'2", 315, looking like a guard at the next level, even though he's currently playing tackle for Atascasita. He's one of those big pieces of clay that Kyle oh. Flood loves to have. Can't wait for, you know, the uh, his, his future... Uh segment on a podcast or, or on a blog kibbles and bits um it's a great lineman name honestly but he's just he's a great big old boy six two uh close to 320 i mean a flood we got the really high end can come in and start day one guys and i like that he's just getting mountains of human and just stacking it up and basically like you said that a lot of human clay to to mold and shape into what he wants uh as the need becomes less dire for year one starters i'm sure we'll get some of those guys as well but plugging your your program and going two three deep with dude to you know get a couple years of development take these giant bodies sculpt them into the college uh you know weight that you want linemen to, to carry and then coach them up for a couple years leads to uh every time you see a good team check their offensive line they usually have juniors and seniors uh all across it right so so you know this another pipeline that i am have no problem just keeping that cupboard full I'm still curious about the tackles and the tackle bodies in this class, uh, but Texas definitely looks like they're going to lock up uh, the guard, both guards in the center by probably the end of June, if not the first couple weeks of July. But uh, I, I trust in flood. I where I will trust the flood as the waters go. So shall I. Uh, so I, mm. I, I mean, it's going to mm. be uh, interesting to see how the tackle recruiting shakes up because uh, I don't think Kelvin Banks is going to be long for this world past last next year, uh, which is fine. Go on, get paid big man. Cause that's generally how you get these five-star kids in the door is get a five-star kid paid. But, Kyle Flood will sort it out. They've got bodies. They've got talent. These last couple of classes, keep stacking them and get them in. Speaking of getting them in, we talked a few weeks ago, Texas needed to get another guard in the door for the 2023-24 campaign. And lo and behold, Chris Johnson, combo guard at a Monto Verde Academy in the Mo City. Originally signed with Kansas, now coming to Austin for next year to help fill out that backcourt. Yeah, a uh, almost a trade, if you think about it, for Arterio Morris, which... Look, now that he's no longer on the team, I think we can all say it. Like, as, as much talent as he had, I, I like not having to root for a guy with the off-the-court issues. So if if Johnson can have the uh, the same amount of production and talent, then I will call it an absolute upgrade because Morris did go to Kansas um, and, and Johnson decommitted from Kansas. Again, great to get a, a player of his talent this late in the class. When you lost two five-stars, um, you know, there was a video of, of AJ Johnson just doing ridiculous dunks that he's clearly uh, getting tutored by by Rockets uh, player and, and quote big brother uh, Jalen Green. But it so it hurts. It hurts, and we know what Holland can do. It hurts to have lost both those guys, but it could have been even worse, right? This could have been a gap where we didn't have any freshman body. So getting a guard in there to kind of replace um, 
Johnson directly, but certainly the the potential in the future uh, for both of, of the players who who went to professional leagues out of this class originally, uh, especially this late in the game, getting you know the number three player in the state of Texas. I I, I love all the optics of it. I think it's great. Um, kids kids a player, right? The the, the guard room the hope is with the with with Acemas and Hunter if they both leave next year or, or Acemas is done but if Hunter leaves uh as well um he's ready to step in right a combo guard who can also run the point um they, they they've gotten a couple of kids in the transfer portal but again guard was the area that we were saying we need a little bit more and I feel a lot better just having this he'll probably play a Morris type of role I would imagine just energy coming in as, a, as another ball handler maybe a scorer um off the bench whether it's depth, whether it's starting spot, whatever it might be, uh, we knew Texas needed to add someone, some talent, a contributor from that position. I think he probably still needs to maybe shore up some of that three-point shooting to really fill in uh, the role that Texas needs. But, again, I'm never mad about uh, someone who decided they did not want to live in Lawrence, Kansas, deciding they wanted to come <laughs> and play basketball in Austin. Folks that will no longer be playing baseball in Austin. Texas had couple of guys, four guys in the last couple of weeks portal out uh, because of time. We cut these from the show last week. I don't know if you listened to it. Go back and listen to our Iowa State preview. It was long, but it was good. But Mitchell Daly <laughs> entered the transfer portal. Kobe Minchie, uh, DJ Burke, Chris Stewart, Pierce George pitching all as four pitchers and Mitchell Daly shortstop slash third baseman all out the door. Daly is the one that caught me off guard. It makes a lot of sense. Um, but I think of all of them, I think Daly is the one, um, maybe not has the immediate, most immediate impact, but that's the one that really was like, Oh, that I was not expecting that. That was an unexpected transfer. Uh, but when you look back at it, it kind of makes sense. I think when you lock in a player as a freshman, right. And just say that's their floor. It's only going up from here. Aaron Nixon, um, as a closer. And then Mitchell Daly is a, is an interior infielder it hurts because you, you see what that when a player is that great as a freshman and daily was a freshman, all American, it hurts because you think, okay, up, 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 they're an all American. They're getting drafted They're You know, you, you see that trajectory when it doesn't happen. It's tough for both player and uh, you know, for, for fans and team and everyone else. But um, you know, he slashed three sixteen four thirteen four sixteen his freshman year and never quite got close to that. Two thirty seven two thirty one was the batting average the past two years. He was benched in the past two seasons, but played his way back to his credit, came up with some timely hits, uh, got better and better with defense as he moved to shortstop this year, filling the, you know, the, unenviable position of replacing Faltini, who's just an absolute goat uh, at, at that position, um, you know, did, did really well. Uh, I think the writing was a bit on the wall as Jalen Flores seems to be the leading contender to slide in there. He made eight starts this year at shortstop. Some of those in, in, in place of daily, of course, five at third base um, and just has that upside that we talked about um, as a freshman this year, that you expect that trajectory um, to go the opposite direction and just get better. And so, you know, I think the decision was probably made that he was either going to have to at very least fight for his spot or maybe seed it. And, you know, good to him. He's, he's, he's uh, already picked up a home in, at uh, University of Kentucky, so he'll be playing SEC baseball. And I wish him absolutely all the best. Really liked uh, Mitchell Daly while he was here. Um, just quickly on the others, you know, Kobe Minchie was an interesting one, ho- homeschooled product, late addition last July to the, to the roster. Um, you know, he's this is the portal era – loss that you don't expect right he's a kid who probably give himself two years in the program could have been a weekend starter uh he's got pretty good stuff he had a two and one record with a five two five era over 12 innings 13 strikeouts in 12 innings but nine walks right he's he's you know a little bit raw probably could have been developed but he'll go somewhere and he'll probably be good in a couple years uh 
bullpen arms, DJ Burke, Chris Stewart, both with 15 appearances, none since April, though. So you kind of see where that uh, comes into play. And then Pierce George is an Austin kid, right, from Lake Travis, number 35 player in the state, big boy, 6'6", 240. Only made three appearances and got two innings, and one of those appearances was against Vandy early on. And so, you know, started out tough. Uh, I hope all of those guys find success. Minchie and George will grow into it. Burke and Stewart are arms that probably teams will pick up and will immediately be key pieces, and I know Daly will be starting and and contributing right away. Yeah, I think Daly's going to end up – do we know where Tulowitzki is ending up next year? Probably somewhere uh, wherever those two probably land together. Uh, Players coming in, left-handed pitcher Will Mercer. Straight Jesuit, by the way, of Notre Dame, former teammate of Dylan Campbell. Um, Made 10 appearances with eight starts, three and three record. On the year, Casey Cummings, outfielder from Chabot College, I think I went with that. Shabbat, Shabbat, Shabbat. Uh, Seth Wurchin. Shabbat. Shabbat, Shabbat Shalom College. No. Uh, <laughs> Seth Wurchin, an outfielder from Penn, Oliver Santos, a pitcher from Duke and Gage Bohm, a Juco pitcher from uh, the Juco Power San Jacinto College. That's right. Um, I'll go in reverse order. Gage Bohm, big kid from Hutto originally, 6'5", 240, mid-90s hey, arm. Uh, thir- throws strikes so um just you know a guy will be in the bullpen see where he goes he's spent a couple years i think he was at blinn and then san jack so a couple years in the juco ranks we'll see how that translates uh, oliver santos was a big recruit left-handed pitcher um didn't make an appearance for duke so i wonder if there's some kind of injury some kind of something there because he was too good not to even though they were a super regional team six four two ten um i think he was the number 45 player nationally number six player in the state of california last year so as a true freshman obviously you know some some time to build on that but you know the the, the talent is there seth Wurchin was on that pen team that made a, a cinderella run um to the regional final almost made it to a super regional uh from Bowie high school uh his twin sister attends texas so it'll be exciting to see him add in casey cummings he can hit for power i think he had 17 home runs also 24 steals so good uh power speed eric kennedy style hopefully can replace um when the uh the the Baylor pitcher made his way over uh, the other will. Um, he has he has starter stuff. He just has had an unbelievable injury career. Um, all the way from high school, he probably would have gone pro. 6'6", 200-pounder, Waco Midway, Baylor all-conference catcher was his dad. Probably goes pro out of high school, uh, fifth-round draft grade, if not for season-ending injury. And then his uh, senior year of high school, his freshman, junior years, and oh, sophomore was cut short by COVID. So it's really just about getting healthy. He, like Tanner Witt, came back um, just for a couple innings. Um, or a couple games, excuse me, uh, last year. Uh, struck out nine and five innings against Texas, though, in some of his limited work, so you know he's got the stuff, and he, he really could. He could be a Sunday starter, uh, Saturday even starter, if he's feeling healthy and he's back. And then Will Mercer probably slots in as a Friday, Saturday starting contender. Um, a really, really good pitcher with Texas roots, all those kids basically coming back home. I think I saw one list of the transfer portal players had him as a top uh, 15 uh, transfer portal players. So, I mean, he's he's the biggest get out of the bunch so far um, and out of the players left and the players coming. He's, he's just head and shoulders, uh, it seems, uh, above everyone else from the, the rankings at least. But uh, we'll see. We'll see if he can slot in to the vaunted. So, speaking of head and shoulders above, now is the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle... What are you banging the drum on this week? So, Gerald, we're recording this on June 27th. Uh, 
June 28th is when our listeners will hear this, but are you, um, I hate to ask you this on live air. Are you, uh, are you acutely aware of the significance of June 27th? Rest in peace, Big Pokey. Sad to see you go. Yeah, Big Pokey, was a, that, that was a tough one for the entire city of, of Houston. We're, we're celebrating especially his infamous verse, maybe the best, likely, probably, uh, no offense to some other legends, best verse on the June 27th freestyle. Um, obviously celebrating DJ Screw, Chopped and Screwed, and, and the Houston music scene. Um, June 27th is that every year. If you listen to 97.9 The Box, you know, that's what we're doing. Um, but, but... As I as I tipped to uh, to our, our friend Melissa Trebwasser uh, in our interview, June twenty seventh now has a tie to the University of Texas baseball. Um, Mayor Sylvester Turner uh, officially uh, gave a proclamation from the city of Texas, uh, excuse me, of Houston, Texas, for uh, Dylan Campbell, uh, the man who everyone remembers just heartbreakingly was Texas's best player, was the player of the game, and the Stanford should have been closeout series to send them to uh, the College World Series, and due to literal technical difficulties, had the most heartbreaking play of his young career. Um, haven't heard or seen a ton from him, but the picture was posted by uh, his his father today, thanking the mayor for, for proclaiming June 27th uh, Dylan Campbell Day. So... What an incredible tie for the city of Houston, for the University of Texas uh, baseball team, and uh, for me, a fan of both. So just wanted to shout out our guy, Dylan Campbell, um, forever linked with legends like Lil Kiki, um, DJ Screw, uh, Big Mo, Big Pokey, etc., cetera, uh, Lil Flip, etc., and Dylan Campbell. You know, when you're, when you're naming, they all will forever be linked together. I don't know how to follow that. I love it. Touching. Um, so I'm banging drum this week on something that I've talked about uh, before, but um, the upside of NIL. NIL is always in the news, going to be in the news forever. The NCAA just came out with a ruling today that even if your state allows you to do NCAA or do NIL things, that you can't do certain NIL things. And so, one, I'm really excited for the eventual death knell slash red wedding slash the, the Lannisters send the regards of the NCAA because folks just disregard their rulings about NIL and take them to court and all of those fantastic things that are coming down the pike to end the, the toothless uh, existence of the NCAA that just exists to make people's lives harder that's not exactly what i'm banging the drum this week on though i'm banging the drum on nil and the positives of it um if you this was kind of flew under the radar uh this week but one of the things that that is uh exciting about nil and the changes that players are now allowed to um use their name image and likeness to promote like kids football camps and things like that in the past where they haven't been able to do that as much and so Guys like Roshan Johnson, Arch Manning, or Roshan Johnson wouldn't need it, but like there, he was out with at a football camp with guys like Arch Manning, who was throwing footballs. Imagine waking up as a kid, living in Austin, going show up to Westlake to throw some footballs around, and you're taking tips from Arch Manning throwing the football, right? Um, so like the ability of players to do those types of things uh, would not be as robust if it wasn't for NIL. Players are able to to sell their, you know, to able to to charge admission or take donations for these things. They're able to, um. You 
you know, be tennis pros, be virtual tennis coaches for some of the, the folks that are on partial scholarships on the tennis team and the golf team, those guys. Um, so again, as we talk about NIL, yes, it is contributing to the, the shifting landscape of college athletics, but there is a lot of good being done for it. And uh, I'm just glad to see these guys are able to capitalize on their name. And I'll continue to, to bang that drum as things like this come up. NIL is not a. I love this idea that there is a there is a positive to paying um, people what they're worth at, at all levels and all regards. There is a there is a uh, hurdler or a high jumper on on the University of Texas track team has five million followers. Uh, Sam Hurley, I think his name is, um, who's like one of our highest NIL people. I love it. It's all sports, all people. Pay the kids. They deserve it. If we're going to do a capitalism, we need to do a capitalism. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. We'll be back on Thursday preview and we're going to start our position previews at the spot that you expect us to punter no i'm just kidding we'll be starting our position previews at the quarterback position then next week we'll be back we'll release it on july 4th we'll record it probably on the third kansas state coming up next week and then we'll do running backs next thursday thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend until next time hook up.